things have an energy field around us. Our exterior has such a profound impact on our mind, on our mental state. It creates space. If you just free yourself from everything that doesn't matter, and the average American household has 300,000 items. Just think about that. It's a time suck. It's an energy suck. It really has a profound impact on your mind. And that's why it matters. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today I'm joined by Lisa Celebitis. Lisa, I am so glad you are here. Hello. Hi, Ella. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You know the drill, Lisa. Can you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Of course. So I'm a professional organizer. I'm certified in the KonMari method. I'm sure we are talking all about it later on, um, but it's basically a tidying method created by Marie Kondo. And yeah, I help people tidy up their homes and their lives here in New York City, um, in home and also virtually. And you're saying the KonMari method? Am I saying that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, I think I'm the only person in the world who has not seen Marie Kondo's work, but I still know of her. <laughs> I think she's like part of common knowledge, part of the zeitgeist, if you will. Um, so I think even if people have not read her books, which she became most famous for like a couple of years ago, but now with the Netflix, you know, she was talk of the town a couple, couple of years ago. I think it's been two years now. Okay, so I'm obviously like under a rock. However, I believe very strongly in the power of organizing and decluttering. And I'm really interested in talking to you about this. But first, I gotta know, what led you here to become an expert in this? I would say I've always been organized, but I've done many different things in my life. In 2016, I was working in fashion. Professional organizing was not on my radar. Um, in fact, I did not know that people existed that made their living helping people get organized. If I had known that sooner, I think I would have jumped on that train sooner. But so I listened to a podcast, Tim Ferriss's podcast, I'm sure you're familiar. And he interviewed Marie Kondo. So at that time, I had I had heard of her, so I had started reading her books, and that's when I found out that she was training people in her method, that you could get certified in her method. And so something just clicked. I went through the training program and became certified in her method. And yeah, that's how I started my business. It was never on my radar to just do my own thing. Like It's really like my skill set, and I feel like I have found what I meant to do. Absolutely amazing. First of all, that a podcast changed your life. And secondly, that now you help people either in person in New York City or remotely anywhere in the world get their act together. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Lisa, I think that before we get in to the six principles that can help you lead a simpler and arguably more joyful life, before we do that, can we talk about why this matters? Because somebody is out there going, why am I talking about decluttering? So Lisa, let's talk about why. Like, why does this conversation even matter in your opinion? 
It absolutely matters. I always say it's not just about making your space aesthetically pleasing. And I think a lot of people think about that when they hear, you know, get organized, declutter, but it has such like a much more deeper impact onto people's lives. Um, I always say it's about crafting or better setting the stage for living your envisioned life. Because when you free yourself from baggage and distractions, and that for me, and I think for most people, that's what clutter really is. Um, If you free yourself from everything that does not bring you joy, that does not bring you happiness, that does not really serve your life, and oftentimes also keeps you stuck in the past. So there's so many connections to other things. And the most important connection I always make, it really frees your mind. So Our exterior has such a profound impact on our mind, on our mental state. It creates space. If you just free yourself from everything that doesn't matter, things have an energy field around us. And the average American household has 300,000 items. Just think about that, right, for a second. And those things need to be maintained. So it's a time suck. It's an energy suck. It really has a profound impact on your mind. And that's why it matters. People want to live purposeful lives. If you want to get ahead and, you know, live the best life you want to do, you have to look into getting organized if you're living in clutter, in my opinion. I love the idea that those of us, and that's you and me and everyone listening, wants to live a life of intention and your environment matters and the environment that you cultivate. And I love that you pointed out this isn't about aesthetics because you don't have to have the Pinterest lifestyle to benefit from decluttering your home. This is not only available to people who have disposable budgets for making their home the most beautiful environment they can. This is really something very much in our control. Would you agree? It is very much in our control. And I'm not about buying like the pretty bins, the pretty containers. This comes after if you want to. Like my goal is really to help people achieve their goals because the the real goal is never the aesthetic goal. So it's always deeper. And that's always where I start with people. Like, what is your real goal? Maybe it's spending more time with your family. Maybe it's taking up that project that you, you know, have been dying to do, but you feel like you don't have time. These are the real goals. Um, and we want to get to that before we even start, because I want, I want to help create people like real change. And there's, I always say there's a difference between um, a traditional professional organizer who typically comes in and helps people organize and make things pretty. But if you want profound change, if you want to learn the principles so that you can maintain on your own, so that you can really cut the clutter, it's maybe you should hire someone like myself, you know, and not a professional organizer who just focuses on making things pretty. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want, if you want to have people do that for you, all power to you, but it's a different thing. Well, let's share the core principles so that we can talk about application here and what it actually looks like. So what is the first core principle that helps us declutter? So the Kumari, uh, the Kumari method is guided by six core principles. And if you stick to those principles, if you always come back to them, you're doing the method right. So the first principle, and I mentioned that already, is to envision your ideal 
lifestyle. So not just your ideal home, but what I mean by that is, and let me get really practical here. So when I first start with working with clients, I send them a, like a vision questionnaire. So there's very specific questions on that. Uh, we really want to dig deep. We want to create or find out what is the goals these people are having and why they want to do this work. It's about getting clear on what you want, getting clarity, and it's a whole home approach, right? So we are going through each and every one of their belongings, and this can take a whole a lot of time because, as I said before, the average American home has 300,000 items, so this can take weeks. So you want to be really clear and specific so you don't, like when it gets difficult along the way, and it can be, I always remind people of their vision and why they're doing this work. So this is principle number one. And then the next principle is to commit yourself to tidying up completely. Again, this goes back to the whole home approach. The KonMari method is really about doing it completely. And I see the highest success rate when people really follow through, um, make a decision about each and every item that they have in their home, if it brings them joy that's when they stick to the method. If you only do like one category and I get to the category part in a second, it's very likely that people fall off because they only do like part of their things. So this profound mindset shift that really happens when you go all the way doesn't happen, right? If you only do part of it. So this was principle number two, commit yourself to tidying up completely. The next one is to tidy by category and not by location. So that's a big one. The KonMari method is all about tidying by category and not by room or by area in your home. It's by category. And the reason for that is that you only get a good overview of how many items of a specific category you own if you gather them in one place. A category example would be clothing. So clothing is a big category. So, and that's also the, like the first category I typically work with people on. What we do really is we gather each piece of clothing in one place. Typically people have clothing in different locations in their homes. So it's really about taking everything out and people usually don't do that, right? So if you think about organizing, most people just leave it like you look through the hangers or, you know, have like a glance and then pick out what you don't want. But we really want to have this power of the pile. That's how I call it. Pile everything up and people are often disgusted or <laughs> astonished, like how much how much they actually have, because you never do this, right? You never see how much you actually have. And then you go through it all at once, ideally. So you really understand the amount of things you have. So that's the reason why we do it by category. That's amazing. I am picturing some people emptying their closets in their winter closet and their spring closet and like putting it all on a bed and like never seeing them again. <laughs> Yeah. You're saying put it all in one place. And that's truly the only way you get a holistic picture, but it sounds somewhat terrifying. <laughs> yes, it absolutely can be terrifying and people get overwhelmed. And that's, but that's, you know, I, I always say, yeah, like rip the bandaid off. Like if you want drastic change, you have to administer drastic measurements. 
yeah, it's really profound and impactful, especially if you've never done this before, especially if you just have no idea how much you have. And it's always more like once it's out, you really see what you have. If it's tucked away, you don't see it. You close the door. It's like away. I don't have to deal with it. Okay. What are the remaining three core principles? We'll get them all on the table. Perfect. So the next one is follow the correct category order. So there's a very specific category order and it's essentially five broad categories. So the first one I mentioned, we start with clothing and then the second one is books. The third one is papers. And then the fourth category is kimono. So that's the Japanese word for miscellaneous items. So that's a very broad category. And if people like are getting confused about the categories, so I have a category checklist, very comprehensive list. If you want to grab that, you can just go to my website or... Yeah, we'll link to it. That'll be perfect. Perfect. And the fifth one is memento sentimental items. So the reason why you want to follow this order is that you want to start with something easy and you kind of work your way up to the most difficult category, which is mental sentimental items. And people have like a harder time typically making a decision about sentimental items because of course there's memories attached. Uh, it's typically harder to like let go of these kinds of things. Um, it gets a little more tricky. It's, it's very different for for every household. There's always, you know, kitchen, like that's part of the kimono category or bathroom items, but it can get very blurry. And the next principle is to always focus on decluttering first before you move on to the organizing part. The sixth and last principle is to only keep what brings you joy. That's the only question I ask people to reflect on when they make their decision. But that's the only question that you should use to make a decision, really. That is the one thing that I have heard over and over again. And I love it. It's so simple. Does it bring you joy? And it is a little bit easier in theory than it is in practice. We moved two years ago, but when we moved, we had to move to temporary accommodations. And then we had to move to temporary accommodations again. And then we had to move into a house that wasn't finished yet. And so all of these things. So, so I got real lean. <laughs> I leaned out a lot of clutter because when you move it once, that's a burden. When you move it three or four times, like you really start to look at it differently, Lisa. And here are some examples of things I bumped up against. Things you inherited from your parents' parents, for example, and they don't mean anything necessarily to you, but you feel guilty about getting rid of them. It's amazing how much guilt we can feel over inanimate objects that don't bring us joy. Do you bump up against that? All the time. In fact, I, I've hosted a whole like workshop on the guilt part um, because it comes up so many times when it comes to, as you mentioned, when it comes to gifts, when it comes to inherited mementos, sentimental items. Um, we attach so much guilt, like it's so hard on our heart, on our brain. Those kinds of things we always leave to last because when it comes to those very difficult things, we want to do the easy part first. And so, and you will hone your sensitivity to joy along the way as you practice your decision making with all the other items. 
So that's my first recommendation, I would say. Yeah, like it actually makes me feel lighter to get rid of it, but then I feel guilty for wanting to get rid of it. And I just thought at the end of the day, I'm attaching all of this meaning. <laughs> I'm creating guilt. I thought if this were all boxed up and shoved in a corner of my attic, would I feel better about it? Knowing it was like all put away and shoved in a corner somewhere. If the answer was yes, then that's how I knew that it was time to release myself of it. But the other thing is I thought, you know, these might bring someone else joy. Could you think of that item giving someone else joy or serving a need in their life where it's not serving one in yours? So I like to think of giving life to things, but just in other people's homes, not mine. Yeah, I love that. And I tell this clients all the time too, you know, when it comes to wanting to sell items, like really think hard and twice if if it's worth your time to sell a 10 bucks items, because it's not. <laughs> One thing you said at the top, Lisa, was that items in our home have an energy about this. And anyone who's walked into their closet and seen an item in there that makes them feel guilty or less than can 100% relate to this. So you might walk into your closet and see the item you spent too much money on and it turns out it doesn't really suit you or your lifestyle. Or maybe you have the section of your closet that are clothes that you wore 10 years ago and you have it in your brain that they're going to fit comfortably again one day. I would argue that those things actually do harm. Lisa, what do you say about that? Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Again, it goes back to like, how do you feel about this item? Really notice yourself. And I like when I work with people one in their homes, like I watch them, if I see them smile, and sometimes they don't even realize, you know, it's usually an immediate yes, like if something brings you joy, you don't have to think about if if it's a yes or no. But those things that they kind of struggle with, I know that it doesn't bring them joy, but there's something else, there's something deeper attached to it. Again, we go back to the guilt part. So watch yourself. Like, does this drain me? Does this bring my energy down or does it not? And sometimes, like, I work with people who have not decluttered in 20 years. So you don't know how it feels like to release so it's really important to just rip the bandaid off. Maybe you just tried with one or two items and then see how you feel. And I promise you, you will not miss that item that you had, you have been thinking about for so many years, if you should let it go or not. It's, it's always like a weight lifted off your shoulder. Um, see how you feel, like honor your life and your vision and don't be a slave to your things because so many people are, I feel like. Well, I don't know if this is scientifically sound, Lisa, but I have found in partnerships, one partner will be a bit more willing to let things go. And the other partner is, I don't know, borderline hoarder. And in our, in my relationship, my husband likes to hold on to things. Okay. He, he went to boarding school when he was a kid and he still has his original pillow. <laughs> like oh, wow. the pillow. Like, do we, I mean, talk about science. Do you know the ecosystem that must be living inside of that pillow? <laughs> Like, and I, I don't want to think about it. Like that pillow was there for him. I get it. 
But the long and the short of it is what I asked him to do upon one of our many moves is I said, do me a favor, like take all these things, your sweater from when you were 14 and your pillow from when you were 11 and put them all in a box and shove them in that corner, proverbial corner. And anything you think about over the next six months, we will take out of the box and put in the keep. And anything you literally never think about again, we'll just get rid of. And I'm not anti-sentimental things. If he has a memento from his childhood that means something to him, I'm not here to be the neat freak police. But the system of box it up, do you miss it or not, seemed to work. When you're looking at things, they feel more significant than they might be when you're not looking at it. Does that make any sense? Like when it's right in front of you, you're like, I'm throwing my childhood away <laughs> versus put it in the box. If you miss it in six months, you keep it. If you don't miss it in six months, you get rid of it. And then he, you know, he made all those choices himself, but just going through that exercise seemed to put it back into perspective for him. And one of the reasons I mentioned this, Lisa, is because of this whole category for those who have children, your children's art. <laughs> And let's define art very, very loosely. If your child ever came into contact with paints or crowns and a piece of paper at the same time, we have assigned so much emotional value around the things they have created. And if you're particularly hung up on this, you might have like boxes of this stuff, Lisa. Do you run into that? Absolutely. Yes. When I work with parents, like usually the first, the main pain point is typically toys. And then it's about the artwork. And again, I totally agree with you, like so many people, and I'm not a parent myself, but so many parents like put so much like value into those pieces. <laughs> um, and I think a couple of different things. So first of all, it could work for you to kind of have a box or a limit, like set yourself a limit, like once that box is full, you know, you kind of let go of the old ones, because these kids, they produce so many things, right? Like on a daily basis. And then there's also services that a lot of parents like to use is you can send in artwork. And I don't know if you've heard about that. And they they make a book out of it. So you oh, can that's so kind of, cool. Yeah, you can let go of the original pieces and then you can have it like in a, in a little book or something. So these are two approaches that you can take that I recommend. And that kind of helps ease the burden of the artwork. That's such a good idea because you could also just, I'm just thinking of like the layman's version. You could just snap some photos of it and then actually put it together in one little photo book. So I like that idea of curating it to a smaller collection of things that are truly impactful to you or taking the whole, almost the whole collection and digitizing it. That's such a cool idea, Lisa. Yeah, I love that too. And think about why you're feeling this way. I'm going to put my mom on blast here because she moved up here um, to be closer to us. And she had each of us, that I'm one of four. So she had each of us go into her garage where she has these huge boxes, which she has just paid to move. Okay. And she's like, here's your box of things I couldn't throw away. Lisa, I opened the box. It had gymnastics medals in it. It had my shiny faux satin gymnastics zip up jacket from 1907. It had my swim team trophies. My brothers had boy scout uniforms. 
And then she had toys that we played with. And do you know what each of us did with our box? We weren't showy about it. We threw them away, which is like terrible for the environment. But what do you do with this stuff? And my point is just to her, she didn't want to throw away our childhoods. She gave us our childhood box and we took out like two things and threw the rest away. And it's just, she's had this for decades and she's paid to move it twice. And honestly, I think she felt better and lighter to not have it crowding up her home anymore, but she just couldn't emotionally do it. Yeah, I run into this all the time as well. I think parents think, you know, they keep all those things because they think their kids want it later on. Don't keep everything, like really curate, make a collection. I'm, I'm a huge fan of just setting yourself a limit. Like if it's a box full, if it's getting too full, like let go of some things, like really curate and don't keep everything. Because if you keep everything, nothing has a meaning. If you only curate and keep meaningful collection, like that's when something matters, right? Everything, like a huge amount doesn't mean nothing. Clothes and toys are easy for me personally, because I just think this can bring joy to someone else. So I actually, and I'm not saying this is healthy, but I actually feel selfish keeping it. So even if you spent money on the toy or you spent money on the clothes, friends, that is a sunk cost. Like you're not getting that money back. So if it's a high value item, sure, feel free to sell it, but otherwise repurpose the joy, give it to someone who it can honestly bring joy to now. I found it difficult to give my son's clothes away until I thought of the child that could actually wear them. <laughs> That's just a little mental trick that worked for me. The other thing that you said, Lisa, is the one box idea. I love that. And I know that that won't work for everybody for everything, but my husband, son, and I each have one box in this storage room in our basement. And it's just our one box of mementos. And, and if we have something that we know we want to keep forever, say it's a newspaper clipping or a trophy or whatever, then we plop it in that box and that feels manageable and doesn't feel heavy to me and it feels organized. Um, so I love that idea. But let's talk, Lisa, about how this affects your life. I know that I am super stressed or that something is amiss in my life, Lisa, if my closet is completely turned over or if one one room is just a solid mess. Like I, that's actually outward indication of something that I'm going through. Is that real? Is it just me? Like, what is that, Lisa? No, I think it's definitely not just you. It's the connection be between clutter and stress is just so real. Another statistic that I just came across a couple of days ago is that the average size of the American home nearly tripled over the past 50 years. This is insane. So I feel like what it is for people is, you know, they, they feel like they have a loss of control and it's no wonder if the items, and especially in this country, right? We live in a consumerist society it's about buying more, it's about acquiring more, and more things doesn't equal more time. We don't have more time, but more things means more maintenance, it means more shopping, more returning, or those things clutter up your home, but at some point you have to deal with it. And ideally also don't want your kids to deal with that. So at some point you have to deal with it. And I'm a huge fan of just doing it now, right? And then creating this mindset shift so that you can live more sustainably going forward. So you shop more mindfully and all that. So outer order also creates 
in a calm. So it really frees your mind. There's less things to deal with. If people are ready to choose a stress-free life, I say start with the exterior because it has such a profound impact also on your inner state. You feel more calm. Like when people come to me, they always say, I feel so overwhelmed. Like that's the first word I hear. And then it's stressed. It's anxious. And this is all created by disorganization, but also clutter. Remove the clutter and then put systems in place that work for you and that really help you in your daily life. Because we we are busy, right? Like we, we don't have more time to spend on all the things. I think that if people are feeling overwhelmed or they don't identify as a neat freak and they're like, this is not for me. My, my baseline suggestion is, tell me what you think about these make your bed every day, make your bed every day, like just start there. You don't have to identify as a neat freak or some identity that feels less creative to you somehow. And that you feel like living in chaos is part of your identity. I'm actually going to raise a flag on that and say, eh, maybe there's more going on there. And truthfully, when you create outer order, it can drive inner calm. I love that you said that. But making your bed every day would be like the tiniest baby hack for people who don't do that. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm a huge fan of making my bed every single day. And it just sets your your day off to a good start, right? It's like this accomplishment that sets off this kind of ripple effect of you accomplishing other tasks as well. So I'm with you on that. Okay, I have two little mini challenges. Pick one. One is if you have a car, go clean your car. Like clean it from front to back and tell me it doesn't feel amazing. And this is from a former slob, by the way. <laughs> like my car, I try to keep my life organized. The inside of my purse and the inside of my car were both like... <laughs> absolute cesspools and they were not okay. And there's something so empowering, Lisa, about when you clean something out. So two starting places that I would recommend. If you have a car, go clean it out, make it a shiny brand new thing on the inside, or go into your vanity, your bathroom, the place you get ready, the place you do your thing and absolutely clean out all of the old product. And I know this is not, I'm not pretending to have a method. This is not science. This is not, this is not Marie Kondo certified. These are just two little Ella challenges. Either start with your car or go into your vanity and take out all that old product, which by the way is gross and you don't want to put it on your face anyway, and clean out all the old makeup and get rid of everything. And it's sad for the environment, but it's going to go into the waste bin eventually anyway. And clean out just that one space you use every day. I find one or both of those can be super empowering and give you the feedback that you need to be like, okay, I can attack the closet. <laughs> Yeah, I love that too. And I think car and the vanity, it's also something you kind of start your day with. So one reason why we recommend like in the Conmari method is to start with clothing because it gives you an instant good start into your day. And I get this feedback from clients a lot as well, right? Like I have such a better like start into my day because I can find everything like at once and I can get dressed in an instant. And same with, you know, your car, if you, I don't know, drive to your job or somewhere in the morning, like having this clean environment first thing in the morning is, is huge. 
That makes so much sense. Tell me one more thing, Lisa, before I let you go. Why does decluttering help you be less wasteful? You said that to me once and I don't really understand it. So I work with a lot of eco-conscious people and I consider myself that as well. So they have a hard time letting go because they feel like that they create waste. If you're the same, just hear me out. So the things already exist, right? So whether you make a decision about these things now, and those things obviously don't bring you joy, or you may make a decision about it later, it doesn't really change anything. The only thing that changes is the location of those items, right? So whether you donate it, whether you throw it away, sooner or or later, you would have to put it in the landfill or give it to charity anyways. So I'm a big fan of creating change now and as soon as possible and creating better habits going forward. So the sooner you make this change, the sooner you, you start making better decisions. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about creating this mindset shift about you shopping more mindfully going forward. And I've seen this all the time. So people who really go all the way and complete the method, they tell me all the time, I shop less. I really think about what I allow into my home. And again, I'm all about donating what you can and not just putting it in the trash, but it's more about the mindset shift that you can create sooner rather than later. Truly decluttering all at once or in a concentrated period of time makes it easier to donate. It makes it easier to recycle. Like I'm much less likely to take one cord to the electronics recycling place than I am to take that whole huge bundle of cords. I don't know what they're for and I don't know what they did. And I sure as hell don't know what they do now. <laughs> I'm much more likely to take a bundle of things to the electronic recycling place at an inconvenience to myself, if you will. It makes it easier in general. So that makes perfect sense. And I love the truism that decluttering helps you save money. You're so much less likely if you curate your wardrobe, you're so much less likely to go out and spend money on something new because it feels more organized and you know what you have, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that. Okay. So if you want to de-stress, if you want to spend less money, if you want to be less wasteful, perhaps it's time to declutter and then organize. Got it. Lisa, can you share your KonMari checklist with everybody? Can we link to that in the show notes? Yes, absolutely. And there's also the six core principles on there. So if you want to give it a go, this checklist comes really in handy. Lisa Celebitis, thank you so much for your time. We will link to everything and make it super easy for everybody in a very clean, organized, and uncluttered way. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Ella. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or open the show notes for this episode and get all the links at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.